Welcome to Family History Mysteries, a podcast that tells the stories uncovered through family history research, the unexpected stories of everyday people. I am an avid family historian who has been compiling my family tree for over 15 years, with nearly 20,000 people collectively recorded in my trees. Episode 5, The Mystery of Maisie. I have a guest this episode, her name is Sarah Nielsen, and she's going to share her family mystery with you. Her family mystery is based on her great-grandmother Maisie and how, just by hearing a few family stories here and there, Sarah discovered that there was a, a bit of a mystery attached to Maisie. The story of Maisie was actually unknown to Maisie herself and her brother until after their mother's death, and there was a family feud over a will and a cousin blurted out that they were lucky to get anything as they weren't even related. And this revelation crippled Sarah's grandmother's health and it scarred their great uncle. And the two of them in their lifetime never found the answers. And Sarah was determined to find good in such a horrible situation. And her story is going to uncover for you the steps she took, the time it took, and also the rewards that she received for her and her family by uncovering the mystery of Maisie. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Nicole. My first question to you is, when did you first get an inkling from family stories or just little comments that were made that there was a bit of a mystery attached to your great-grandmother Maisie? It was a great aunt of mine that told me. I was actually inquiring with her about a completely separate family history story and asking about that side of the family and she knew absolutely nothing and she said I'm sorry I can't help you and I said oh that's okay that's okay and she said oh well she said have you done anything those nickels with with Maisie's family and I said oh no I hadn't and I I still remember looking at my family tree thinking, gee, that one looks a bit sad because I think I had only half of the children in there, not their correct names and, and absolutely no sort of files or records or anything. And she cackled, Auntie Betty, she cackled at me and she said, um, oh, they're a good one to have a look into. When I told mum that I'd spoken to her and she said, I said, she said the weirdest thing to me. She said something about the nickels that they were good to when I get stuck into them. And mum said, oh, well, yeah, they would be interesting for you. And I said, why? What, you know, what was, and she said, well, apparently your grandmother's mother was adopted. And I said, really? And she said, well, there was a family tale that her oldest brother was actually her father. And I'm thinking, what am I doing wasting my time on this other side of the family while this has been on? So that was that was really my initial time that sparked my interest that I had to dig further. What was your first step into, okay, I need to try and find some proof of this? I guess what I got was, and I've always done this with any of my family history, who might know that I can still ask. And it's funny how your circle starts with really immediate. So obviously, so it's my paternal grandmother, but she was very close for many years with my mother. So she told my mother a lot of things and my aunt like they were her daughters because she had two sons. So I started with them, you know, because my grandmother passed away many years ago and it was something that 
in finding out the truth with this story was interesting because my mum had told me how much it meant to my grandmother and to my great uncle. And I sort of I thought, wow, it, you know, surely with technology now, this, and I remember going into it thinking, this will be so easy. I'm just going to jump on birth, deaths and marriages and I'm just going to find it. And, and the birth certificate's going to be there and the answer's going to be, it's probably going to be the brother and that'll be it. And we'll be done. I'll just pop it in my tree and keep going. And when I sort of asked mum around what mum knew and then what my auntie knew, and they, it was the same story always. It was apparently the brother, this brother. So then I went to my grandfather and I said, what can you remember Gran telling you? And he said, oh, you know, she was terribly upset. I asked my grandmother's best friend, who had been her best friend since she was young. Again, she said, you know, she was more of that, your grandmother was terribly upset when she found this out. And for me, probably in my generation, that's really almost difficult to understand how upset they were because I know lots of people that are adopted, you know, and yes, they've gone on to find their biological parents or no, they've decided they don't want to. It's something that I guess in our day and age now is not as taboo as it was then. And as the news was delivered to my grandmother and her brother that their mother was a foundling, that was such a, you know, it was such a dirty word back then. It was, it was so offensive. So going to everyone who was still living and sometimes it's amazing the people you meet along the way that think, oh, you know, I really want to find out more about this. I want to know. And I actually became close with one of my grandmother's cousins who she said, I hadn't spoken to your, you know, like obviously she was at my grandmother's funeral. She didn't see much of my grandfather, but her and her husband are so into family history and do so much work on it. And her children are not interested. So we could just sit there and talk and you know just throw ideas up and they're both really objective like that so it was just about asking as many people and then it was getting as many records as I could and I guess that's the challenging part because that you know some of it does cost money some of it does cost a lot of time you know going into public records and knowing what to look at what was the the piece that really unlocked it for you that sent you in a different direction the initial thing that I thought to do was looking up every single ancestry record I could, any birth, deaths and marriages, anything typing in their last name, who the actual children of, you know, her mother was, finding out who her supposed mother was, who were all her siblings, you know, filling the tree as much as I could. And then I just sat there and I Googled their names. I mean, I put them in trove and all different ways that their names were written, different, you know, their street name with their last name, everything like that. And then I just started Googling. And fortunately for me, my biggest free kick that I was given was that an article came up that um, a really fantastic historian, Helen Doxford Harris, had written for Provenance, which is for the Public Records of Victoria, and it's their sort of publication. And she'd written an article about her research that she'd done on the Infant Life Register. And not many people knew what the Infant Life Register was. And it was because these babies were being billeted to people who would then take money from the parent. And in some cases, they neglected the children. There was, there was you know, infant murder. It was awful. And so in came this bill and then this act to protect, you know, there were, they were essentially foster mothers, but, but not as permanent, you know, 
there was a variety of reasons why babies were given to these, well, they were called nurses. So there was a letter written by Maisie's adopt, well, adopted mother, so who I thought was my third great-grandmother, and she had written a letter to the Chief Commissioner for Police saying, you know, her disgust and her disappointment that as a nurse, a child that was taken from her, that she's had, I believe she said she'd had him since he was two weeks old or something like that. And now he was nearly two and he'd been adopted out as they did. And she'd grown attached to him and he was just sent away. And, and you can just imagine the picture of him, you know, this little baby screaming, being taken away from her because it's all he's known to be family. And he'd been adopted out. He was adopted to an amazing family. I actually tracked this child and tracked where he went. And he he was very loved. That was amazing for me. There she was. I knew what her occupation was and I knew her ticket to children. From there, again, I thought it was going to be really easy. I contacted Helen Doxford Harris, who's been amazing in my research. And she said, well, I can give you a list of all the babies that Margaret Susanna had in her care. I'm going, great. I'm going to get all the information. The file's going to be right there. We'll find this beautiful document and that'll be it. And she wasn't there. There was no name, not even a, a semblance of what she was. So I knew then I had to I had to talk to some more people. I had to get some more advice. And Helen, I mean, I felt that I'd exhausted everything. There was on her website, it's great. It does have little snippets of information. So I was able to use those to then get things into context. The nurses I learnt were visited every two weeks by usually a female. They were appointed by police. They weren't always police officers, but they'd come in and check that the house was okay, that the children looked okay, they were being well looked after. So I managed to find out that Margaret was registered and had certain children at certain times. So I guess my question then was, well, if they had to be registered for any child they had in their care under two, anyone had to. So even if a grandmother was looking after a child, they did have to let the police commissioner know. The police commissioner might not say that grandma has to be registered, but they had to know. That's how, how you know intense this issue was. And so my question constantly to Helen was, well, if she's got children in 1901 in her care, her registration would suggest that Maisie also had to be on that. And Helen said, well, yeah, if you're thinking logically. I said, no, well, them's the rules. There they are. I said, she's got a child in 1901. She's got a child in 1902. There's records. We've got proof. Why is Maisie not there? And she said, well, maybe she wasn't there. And I'm thinking... Oh my gosh. So still we had no birth certificate. We had like by this stage, I was still searching for any proof of birth from 1895 through to 1905, thinking she could be, you know, five years either side. Anyway, I played with so many different varieties. And then someone said, why don't you suggest trying to find the historical adoption papers? Adoption wasn't a thing then. It didn't come in until 1928. But maybe there was something, maybe these agencies had something, maybe she was a ward of the state and there was something somewhere. So I wrote to everyone I possibly could, no one had anything, nothing that connected Margaret Susanna Nicholl to, to any of this. The only thing I had to go by was that Margaret Susanna's father was an evangelist, so he 
he was involved with the Methodist church, but sort of a side way of it that there are a lot more, you know, he ran his own sort of public preachings and things like that. So was it something through the church? He was heavily involved with the Wesleyan church as well in Geelong. Was it something to do with that? Was Maisie actually born in Geelong and it was something to do with the church? Margaret Susanna's brother was also in Parliament, he was the Chief Inspector for Factories. Was it something to do with that? Did he meet some poor unfortunate girl who'd got herself into trouble? Every single hypothesis I thought of of how she could have come to Margaret Susanna still came back to this stumbling point of but she still had to be registered because of Margaret Susanna's trade. It was too risky. The fines were too great. It could have been a jail term. Did she have a dalliance and hide the baby? I remember my grandmother saying that her mother was a change of life baby. Again, something I thought I'd be able to easily prove. Her husband died six years before Maisie's birth, so that wasn't possible. I got his death certificate to prove who his children were. So it wasn't until I spoke with Berry Street and they, you know, they've been around for a long time. They're historians, they're fantastic. And they said, look, start with what you know. And I said, I'm, I feel like I'm exhausting everything I know. They said, is there something in the name? And I said, she's never been known by another name. No different last name, nothing. And they said, well, what's her, you know, her first name? Where do you think it comes from? And I said, well, we were always told she was Maisie, little Margaret, which her adoptive mother's name's Margaret. And then they said, well, what about the middle name? And I, I did think there's no Ivies in our family at all, which most of Margaret Susanna's children were somehow a legacy to someone in their middle names. And I thought, yeah, there's no, I, no one is Ivy. And my mother said, oh, no, Gran always said that her mother hated the name Ivy and questioned why on earth would my mother use this name? You know, it was, it's, it's like a weed. It's, you know, it's something that takes over things. And I thought, okay, this could be the winner then. I looked up every single little girl born in 1900 with the name Ivy in her name. And I remember having tabs and tabs of Ancestry open for you know, days and days, just scouring through every name, finding out who their parents are, what other trees are they in. And I had a short list of, of children that it could be. So I went in looking for births, any, any of them born in Carlton too, because that was something that someone had found out. There was, her marriage certificate said she was born at Princess Hill. On her children's birth certificates, she'd stated she was from Carlton or Princess Hill. So I thought, okay, go by what you know, you know, it's all just, it's all just a, a path. If it ends up in a brick wall, it's a brick wall. I went through the women's hospital records, that being in Carlton. Again, I'd researched, okay. So finally opened up their books and then found this baby born, Ivy Cornish, 15th of April, 1900. And, you know, I rem I've got shot screenshots just of the whole book of all, and this was, it described her labour, everything, what time she was born, who the witnesses were, who the nurses were, and it was obviously her mother's name. And her mother's name was Nellie Cornish, and it just said that she was born in 1876 and born in Victoria, Australia. And that was it. There was no father, not known. She, she was illegitimate because she was unmarried. But, but Nellie was 24 at the time, which... In 1900, 24 years old is, is not young. It, it was older. Most women had had a couple of children by then, if not three. 
all I had to go by was, okay, this fits the bill. I'm going to research who this Nally Cornish was. Well, you would be surprised to know that there was a few women called Nally Cornish in 1900 who were born in the 1870s. So is it Ellen Cornish? Is Nellie her middle name? Is Ellen her middle name? When I found an Ellen Cornish who went by the name Nellie and she was born in 1876, I thought, okay, I'm going to go with this one. She's, She's most like it. And I found that she grew up in Ascot Vale. Well, she was in Flemington and then Ascot Vale. And I'm thinking we have no connection to that side of town. Again, it's such a distance from, you know, from Garden Vale, Elstonwick at that time where Margaret Susanna was to Ascot Vale. It was such a distance. And and even Carlton, again, such a distance. The older brother theory. So the, the story you heard from your family about how this possibly older brother could be Maisie's father. Every time I looked at another stumbling block, I'm going, so was he the connector? Where was he? Where was where was Alexander at all this time? His age checked out. He was 18 in 1900. So yes, he could, I mean, he could have fathered a child much younger, but realistically, he could have. Could it have been the age-old story that, you know, he's the boy of the, you know, he's the grandson of the Wesleyan minister, and he falls in love with a Catholic girl. Was it that story? Um, and so then on the side, you know, when you get to so many brick walls, I was then saying, okay, so this theory of Alexander, where was Alexander? I can see that in 1900, they were renting a, a property in Downshire Road in Elstonwick, and the count of people living occupants in the house means he was there. By 1902, he's gone. Finding where he was in 1902 was so challenging because he wasn't yet 21. So he wasn't voting yet. He was at that blur age for boys. And even, it's not even like now where most boys, most of them go through to school at least 17, 18. They didn't do that. He probably dropped out of school when he was 12. Probably when his father died and he had to work to help his mum. So Filling that gap of we knew they came back to Paran when he was 14 from Geelong. Then his, he gets married in 1905. And in the notice in the paper, it says um, formally of the RAA. And so I had to learn what the RAA was, the Royal um, Artillery Association, I think it was. So it's essentially, you know, I guess the army reserve, but it was the army. And I'm going, okay, so where would he have been? That notice is in Hobart. Where he got married was in Hobart. Okay, how, gosh, I'm trying to bridge Ascot Vale to Elstonwick. I'm now having to bridge Elstonwick to Hobart. And then I learnt that there was a contingent that came from Queenscliff to Hobart. Okay, that makes sense. Grew up in Geelong, probably always thought I'll go to Queenscliff. So went to Fort Queenscliff, got all the information on what I would be looking for. And they said, contact our historical department with as much information as you've got. Anyway, it came back. Yes, he joined when he was 18. He was there until 1902, 1903, headed down to Hobart from there. And then quite quickly met a woman 20 years his senior who'd recently become a widow. And she, they got married very quickly. And I thought, okay, this could be it, but why would they not have kept the child? What would be stopping a woman 
nearing 40 from keeping her baby? Why would she have had to have given it up? Did she get pregnant before they got married and they had to give it to his mother and then they got married and, you know, they expected her back? Alexander's marriage to, it was another Nellie, but Ellen Cross, they were at each other. They were on again, off again. She was putting notes in the paper for desertion all the time. I don't know how, maybe, and my mum would say, well, when they lived a life like that, maybe Margaret Susanna said, you can't have a baby living in that environment. We're talking about, a, like, Margaret Susanna, you know, devout, you know, father's an evangelist, sister is a member of the temperance society, son goes off and buys a pub. And you just think, wow, this is chaos and we've got an adopted child in the mix. <laughs> and so <laughs> sifting through the, the stories, each one I'm trying to see where she possibly could have fit in. And then, I mean, I then got on that tangent of following his life and which is a story for another episode because it's just, it's amazing the life he led. But the more I learned about him and what he was doing, the less I thought the, with the potential of him being the father. Once Maisie, you know, when she got married and had a child, her first son, she called Jeffrey Alexander after both of her brothers. So again, I sort of go back to, well, why did she do that? Was she so close to them? I mean, there was an 18-year difference. How was she close to them? And and he wasn't there. He was absent. And she's named her child. Maybe he was her father, you know. And so it did always stay in the back of my mind until I got DNA done that it was a possibility. So once my DNA came back, I was able to go to my grandmother's cousin who'd also had her DNA done. And I said, okay, you're, you are definitely, you know, from the Ord family, which that was Margaret Susanna's maiden name, w will be a match if if he's the father and there's no match there, not even not even a grain on um, Jedmap, which was, I must say, I wasn't as d disappointed as I thought I would be. I sort of went, okay, well, next. I got in contact with the family that I believed to be Nellie's family and, and they were quite they were quite receptive to it. They were quite, that was as intrigued as I, but I wasn't quite sure that it had sunk in what I was saying. Um, it was all over email because they live in state. So, you know, we got along really well, but it, yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent sure because it's always difficult to deliver that news. Hi, I'm contacting you because I think we might be related. Um, <laughs> you know, how you, you thought your grandmother was a really pure young woman. Um, and that's what you're suggesting, you know, that's what you feel like you're telling them. Anyway, so I I then started to work on the DNA. I was given a lot of, you know, a lot of pointers because when I got my DNA, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting to open up the results and there'd be some flashing sign that said, this is the family of your great grandmother. Go through this one. You'll, it's not. It's all these names. You have no idea what it means. And it's really overwhelming. And that's Whenever I see one of those posts in a Facebook group saying, I've just got my DNA done and I don't know what I'm looking at, I absolutely understand. And I thought, how am I going to do this? There's so many names here. And a friend of mine said, just divide, just continue to divide what, you know, what you can. 
So I had to get my mum's, my mum's side is Italian. So I had to get all the Italians out of there. They were just, they were too prominent. So then I had to get out split, you know, my grandfather's side to my grandmother's side. Then I had to split my grandfather, grandmother's father's side to then this unknown. And it was all just unknown. So I started to build these trees and it took a while for me to actually start to build these people into my tree. It's a really big sort of confidence thing to start putting, you know, what then I was saying other people's family into my tree, assuming they were mine. But I needed to do it to see what it would build. And all of a sudden I started looking up people's trees to see if they had these alike last names and they were coming into it. Cornish was coming up. Grogan, which was Nellie's mum's last name. Finally, I got to a point where I couldn't, I was too detached from it. And so I said to my father, I said, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do your DNA. I need to use it. He said, okay. So we ordered it, got it done. It came back quite quickly and I was able to at least transfer what I'd done. And then there was one that came up quite close to him, was, was one of the closest. And went through their tree, built on their tree to see where it went. And the last names came up with one of Alan Cornish's sister's married names. And I was, you know, there I was just confirming, double checking, triple checking before you contact someone. And initially uh, a lady that wrote back sort of said, oh, look, we don't know. We don't know what my husband's grandmother's name was. We can't remember. And I sort of went, oh, okay, that's a bummer. You know, and then I thought, no, I've come this far, I'm going to push it a bit harder. And I just thought oh, that's, that's a shame because I think, I think it's running in with the family tree that I'm seeing that's this name, this name, this. And she said, oh, actually, now that you say that, yes, yes, that is the name. The more we chatted, it was, it was quite amazing how many times our paths would have crossed. But I was able to start to build this firm tree and realise, okay, I've got the maternal side. Then it was to figure out who dad was. And I remember saying to my mum, can you believe it? Like, we now know who her mother was, you know, and getting your head around that this, this person's tree. And I was, even this morning, I was working on it and I'm going, this is actually, we're actually building our family tree now. This just isn't some other person. And it's quite, it's quite strange. I said, mum, but now I've got a bigger task ahead of me. And mum said, what have you got to do now? I said, well, I need to figure out who dad is. She said, oh my gosh. So I was given the advice to find out what the most common last name is on the remainder. So that colour coding in Ancestry, once you get your head around it, it really does work. So I had this colour, this red, that red was Maisie, red just on its own was mum, red with blue was other, was somehow whoever else. So started to see a common thread of Campbell and I thought oh yeah nice and common name that I have on the other side of the family's completely different Campbells but still Campbell's quite a common name and so a lot of people will have a Campbell in their tree and then when I looked up more and more about Campbell, Clan Campbell I'm going oh my gosh there's going to be millions of them there's just going to be so many <laughs> and I went again found the closest match, what Campbell did they have? And it didn't seem much of the tree, but they'd put a little blurb that it was Donald Campbell from King Ussie in Scotland. And I went, okay, 
that's a person, that's a thing, I can find that and build a tree on that. So I could find enough on it to then build a tree and find these other trees. Well, they all had about seven to ten children each. They all immigrated here. So, again, I was just like, oh. And then there was intramarrying of the same last names. But I managed to find this son that came and who I believe it was. It was, you know, down to this Malcolm Campbell. And, again, then I thought this will – so this is where DNA could only take you that far. And that's it's amazing how the DNA is such a great tool but then you've got to go back off the DNA and you're going back into records. What have you got of both these families on your tree? Where are they? Okay, I've managed to see that Nellie's in Ascot Vale, Malcolm is in Mooney Ponds, and I even got it up on a map. How far away were their houses? Yeah, they were, they were probably a very easy walk to, to each other's houses. She was on quite the western border and, and Mooney Ponds was just there. Did Malcolm ever know that he'd had a baby with her? Were they, you know, sweethearts or did they barely know each other? Were they kids being silly or was it something else? Um, sort of all these different scenarios of what it was. And I'm still researching that now and I'm trying to get as much information about that area to try and bring them together. At that time, Malcolm was still living at home. His parents were both still alive. His father died in late 1901. He had siblings still living at home. So I was trying to piece together, and I still am, where was his life? What was he doing? He was unmarried. Nellie was unmarried. They were both around the same age, 24, 25, 26. I've got a copy of a letter that he wrote when he was in the war. So he went to Scotland. And he wrote it back to his brother, telling his brother all about what it was like in Scotland, you know, the old country where dad was. And the way he writes, he, he seems like a lovely guy. And so you sort of read it and I think, why couldn't they have just gotten married if there was this baby? What what was stopping them? I was, I asked family, uh, Nellie's family, I said, was she part of any sort of major church organisation? No, they were not huge churchgoers like that. Okay, so that's not the connection. So really trying to play it back right until, you know, 1899, where were they? What what were they both doing? I I doubt with the types of areas Mooney Ponds and Ascotvale were that either of them were in school or, or, you know, I'd say both of them had been working for some time. But Nellie was still at home. She was 24. If she managed to go out and get a job by 1903, I've got her listed as in Hawthorne working. Were they working in the same place? Again, though, that same question, regardless of whether they were working, they weren't, why couldn't they have been together? Did they not want to be together? She did get married later. Again, I question, why did she never come back for Maisie or did no one ever know that she'd had a baby? There was no one that knew anything about a pregnancy or a baby? One family member in the Cornish family said that she believed there was a story about a baby. And she said, I, I remember hearing a story about a baby. And I said, were they stories about there were babies born in that family that died young or died as children? Is that what you mean? She said, no, I do remember something about a baby. I always thought it was something to do with Maud, though, but maybe not. Maybe it was her baby. So perhaps there were stories told or 
maybe did Nellie keep it from her family? Did they never know? And, and that's what she did. She hid it forever. But still, I looked at what the possibilities were of how Maisie got from one side of Melbourne to the other. Margaret was still working as an infant life nurse. Okay, so maybe, maybe someone else looked after Maisie until she was two. I do have a photo of Maisie's four sisters. And it was funny because I, I do believe it might be her handwriting on the back of it that's written who each one of them are. You know, she's named who they are and then named who their husbands were and who their children were, which, thank goodness she did that. That was really helpful. So I was able to put faces to names, families to people. This photo, it's the most beautiful photo of four women. And I believe that it's possibly to mark the second daughter's wedding day. She was the first married in the family on her marriage lines says that she's by by occupation she's a lady I didn't even know that that was actually an occupation and she married a man about 15 years her senior so again that makes me think okay so May got married in 19, late 1904 was Maisie even on the scene then or she was a four-year-old she wasn't a baby anymore so they could have had a little four-year-old sitting in a photo that wouldn't have or did May say, she's not my sister, I don't want her in the photo. Later on, when I tried to get information from reading any of their wills, May's will states everything will go to her husband. You know, if her husband predeceases her, it will go to her mother. And if her mother predeceases her, it will go to her three sisters. But interestingly, she said two shares will go to her oldest sister and then one share each to her younger sisters. And, you know, we sort of fantasised with the idea of, oh, did she give two shares to Greta, the older sister, to give one to Maisie when she was old enough? Well, the will was written when Maisie was 22. There's no reason why Maisie wouldn't have been or shouldn't have been named. That, to me, highlighted perhaps her view. But Maisie, as she got older, was was really close with her youngest, the youngest two sisters, so the two that were directly above her. Again, still, I think Phyllis was about 18 months old when her father died, so she would have been, I think she was seven when Maisie came along. And they were all really, really close, which is interesting, I think, and that's where my grandmother felt that sadness that everybody knew this secret except her and her brother. Everybody knew but them. And so, again, going back to how did how did she possibly get there all that way? And I've tried to connect. Um, there's been a couple of inquests where Margaret Susanna, you know, has been one of the nurses that's been looking after a child who'd been unwell or died. And so there's been a connection to nurses in Carlton or North Carlton. I thought, okay, so there is some sort of connection. And usually it was through the Stone sisters, so Constance Stone or Clara Stone. There's quite a few letters between Margaret and Clara. Um, she was her doctor. So, you know, going back and forth, was it them that knew Nellie somehow and said, look, we'll find a home for your baby. Again, I find it strange that she was allowed to be an infant life nurse, A, if she had a baby of her own that was so young, that was, you know, adopted even, or she could say it was her own. She had so many children still in the house, and I've seen other nurses be rejected for less. So 
did she have it in really good with the police that they thought she was she was fantastic and she should remain a nurse from what I can see she was a really good nurse she was a fantastic nurse at what she did but it was her occupation and there are some written that have said look I um you know I had to return this baby because I, I had enough going on on my plate as it was I had enough and I thought absolutely you did you you know you took in this infant and so still there's still no connection between I guess our side of the Yarra and that side of the Yarra they were an interesting family I mean Alex with his going off and you know some of the things he got up to was just ridiculous the second brother the Donald Historical Society got me a photo of him when he was in the cricket team when he was first a dentist and he had to move out there to work and he had just had a face on him that I looked at this photo and you just think yeah butter wouldn't melt in your mouth I don't believe that you were the favorite son so three three marriages later that one he had an illegitimate child as well paid maintenance for him his whole you know until he was 16 but denied he was his um so again he was not innocent and then the sisters you know Greta who seemed to be a really well-to-do one she again her marriage dissolved she had four children I believe she was the one that introduced Maisie to her husband because she was a neighbor of my great-grandfather's family all of them all of them seemed to have these issues in their life and Maisie seemed to have this smooth sailing life to you know to the outside and then after she died to then find out well no it was it was pretty designer actually literally designer life and I you know I guess I always uh, you know figure the question is when she was alive did she know did she was she ever told and she decided to keep this a secret and thought no mm -hmm. my children don't need to know or I would think that she would have confided it in her husband and even when she died he was the informant on her death certificate and when it said, where was she born? He wrote Alstonwick. That's where he thought she was born. So maybe she didn't know, or maybe she didn't want to tell anyone. But definitely now it's sort of starting to sink in that whole, wow, these two families are my family too. I've done sort of so much research into them. And you, you know, that's why anyone who contacts me and sort of says, can I have information on this? I mean, I've always been a person, I've had my tree public because I just think, it's all there for the taking you know it's you can't change any of it by finding any of it out it's not you know it's not altering it but it's helpful to see there's been a great uh, woman who's been so helpful she's in the Campbell family her great-grandmother was the sister so she's got all this information on the family but she's removed enough that she's happy to share it <laughs> it's not directly about her did Malcolm have children other children once he married yes so he had a daughter who i believe didn't have any children and he had a son who then had another son and the son is is the one that we've got the connection uh, for dna so oh. that was sort of how i saw that it you know was so close and i measured it next to people who had the same you know dna centimeters and everything like that count connected to each other and it's just so amazing when you go through records, a family you never knew you had, and you're looking at addresses. At one stage, these Campbells lived right near where my parents owned a business. Um, 
We did have one gentleman who came into my parents' shop once when my grandmother, my parents had just opened up a, a shop. My grandmother used to go and work there to help them out. And my mum said a gentleman walked in one day and said, you know, are you, are you Judith? And she said, yes. And he said, I'm your cousin. And we still don't know who that man was. We think it was one of her, um, one of uh, Greta's sons, because he actually lived on the same road that the shop was. But we, we don't know. We don't know. Mum just said, I remember she was a bit sort of flustered by it of who he was. Funny thing that I found out was one of the, one of Malcolm Campbell's brothers was John Campbell. And I researched every line. He had another son, John, who became a butcher. And I was tracing where John ended up. And, and I think I was actually intrigued because I've got a very good friend who's married into a Campbell family. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we would be so excited if we found out we were related. <laughs> and um, so I went through and it came up that his electoral role was in East Brighton. I went, oh, how amazing. That's where our family was. And then it ended up that for years, he was actually her neighbor. And wow. so that was her cousin. And, you know, that sort of stuff is just, and I said to my parents, do you remember? Do you remember? And I said to my grandfather, thankfully, before he started losing his memory, but I said, did you remember John Campbell next door? Yeah, I didn't like him. Can you tell me anything about him? <laughs> no, the dog hated him. The dog hated him. And mum said, yes, he was a butcher and he'd bring bones for the German shepherd to try and make her like him. And she still did it. But he, he, and I just thought he was so close. He was right there. Just the things you find out. But again, it's that I always thought that once I got my DNA done, I thought all the answers would be there. No, you keep researching. And then I thought once I find out who these families are, where she came from, oh, that'll be enough and I can move on. And it's, and it's still not enough. I thought it really would be and it's, and it's not. Um, but you sort of realise how lucky we are with the research we can do. Every single nook and cranny we can look into. Um, you realise what states have better records than what we have or things that have been saved that you think, oh, thank goodness someone thought to save these. Thank goodness someone thought this was a good idea. You know, even Alexander's war dossiers that, you know, it should be about fighting and all of that. No, it's letters back and forth to the army barracks saying, I'm sorry that I, I put that I wasn't married. I didn't understand the question. No, I am married. You're right. I am. Well, we know, Mr. Nickel, because your wife's written to us and told us. Uh, and it's back and forth. It's just ridiculous. But the information in them is you, you learn so much about the family, where they were, what they were doing. You know, the wife went and knocked on the door. This is the address I had of his mother and I've knocked on the door and no one seems to be living there. I'm like, okay, great. So she moved out in 1915. That's good to know now. <laughs> yeah, look, I was never going to find a birth certificate that said her name on it. I tried so many different ways of spelling Maisie, so many different ways of spelling Nickel, so many Nickel children born that I traced to see if it was her. And I, it wasn't until recently that I found in a box at my grandfather's the letter that my grandmother had received, I think in about 1987 or 88. And it was where you had to write into birth, deaths and marriages. And it came back saying, 
we, we cannot find any extract for Maisie Ivy Nicol born on the 15th of April 1900. And that was quite confronting to find that thinking, imagine receiving that letter. You thought, you thought it was going to come back and whatever the information was, they'd probably already prepped themselves to see a birth certificate that said, you know, unknown father. They didn't even get that. They, they couldn't even find who she was or, you know, who she existed to. I'm keen to learn more about both of them to see what similarities might be in the family. I have seen a photo of her mother. I see a similarity, not, not in a huge way, but things like stature, hair, because I've got photos of Maisie at the same age. I, I definitely see similarities. At first, I sort of thought, you know, maybe I'm just having wishful thinking. And it was funny because I then asked the family and I said, what do you think? You know, this is a photo of Maisie. Do you think they look, oh, no, we don't think they look alike. I was like, <laughs> well, thank you so much for telling your unbelievable story and the amazing influence DNA's had on your journey. I mean, that really, yes. really got you to that point where you, you know, you, you have really knuckled it down and I, I really do hope that you can flesh it out a little bit more and really get an understanding of how how this couple came together. It'd be um, great we might be able to do a little follow-up down the track. Yeah, the sequel. <laughs> a sequel, that's right. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. No, thank you so much. If you have a story that you would like on a future episode, please go to my Facebook page, Family History Mysteries. And also if you would like some assistance in filling in the gaps in your own family tree, please message me through my Facebook page.